It is a good day, a good day to gather, a good day to worship. I want to welcome any of you who are here visiting with us today or visiting even online. Um, but if you're here in this space, I want to let you know that following worship today, we, we, we gather over in our fellowship hall and have a good time together. But we also have a volunteer fair today, a time in which we kind of lift up some of the activities that are going to happen here in the fall as things start to gear up and always an opportunity to see what you might want to become involved in or what you're already involved in. It's a fun time. So just want you to be aware of what's happening as we gather later this morning. Um, let's take time now to ask God to not only bless our time together, but to guide us through the week. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We have awoken this morning to rain. The reminder that you care for your earth. The reminder that all of life comes from you. As we gather this morning, O oh Lord, we gather to give praise and glory to you. To remember that all that we are and all that we have, all of it is a gift from you. We gather also, Lord, aware of who we are. In our moments when we stop and think and consider who you are, we are suddenly great, greatly aware of who we are and how far we fall short of your calling upon each of our lives, of who we are to be. Oh, Lord, obviously we... We ask for forgiveness and a chance to start again, but we recognize that you have given us that in your Son, Jesus Christ, who has washed away all of our sins. What a precious gift your Son is to us. We gather to praise you for this wonderful gift of Jesus and that it's an ongoing gift that our sins remain forgiven and that your spirit has been sent to guide and direct us and help us to build a new life in you. In those moments where we have fallen again, O oh Lord, we fall on your grace. And as we seek to stand, let us stand in your strength and in your power, not in our own. But help us to walk forward in you. May your spirit guide each of us into this week, into who we are to be. That others may come to know of your love. That we would be ambassadors that would show forth your love. Help us, O oh Lord as we were reminded of your gospel and good news this morning. And as we go forward, O oh Lord, we pray that you would be with the community around us, that we wouldn't just live our lives, but live into the life of this community, that we'd see our opportunities to share your love, that others might truly come to know you. We pray that we could be a blessing to others, that you would lead us outside of ourselves. And, O oh Lord, as we do so, we trust all our cares, 
all our worries, all our hopes upon you. For we know, O Lord, you are the one who sustains us. You are the one who rescues us, and you are the one who gives us a future. So guide us, O Lord, into this week. And as you do so, please care for those among us who are hurting, whether externally and obviously or whether deep inside. May you heal our pain. May you comfort us and give us patience. May you watch over us and help us to do so with one another as well to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill your law. We trust all that we have laid before you, O Lord, knowing that you hear us, knowing that these are more than empty words thrown into the air, but that you know us and know our needs. May we be ever drawn closer to you. This we pray through your son, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I'd like to excuse the children at this time to the children's summertime. It's a good gathering. One of the children I saw upstairs in the balcony was coming up the stairs with a sharpened pencil. I have a sharpened pencil. So thrilled. And of course, I was worried as all get out. <laughs> names. Have you ever given much thought to the names that you have? The name, your name? You know, um, we named our children with some purpose. Uh, Anna's name means grace. Her middle name is Grace, so she's grace upon grace, and that has meaning to us. Uh, if you look at many authors, uh, their characters, uh, the names they give their characters are usually meant to convey something. Harry Potter was a very popular children's book, still is, and Harry Potter's uh, enemy is a, a kid by the name of Draco Malfoy. I mean, just the name conveys it, doesn't it? Draco kind of sounds like Dracula, and Malfoy, you know, Mal is bad. You know, it's, it's just the name conveys something of who you're up against. But that pattern of what authors do with names goes back a long ways. You can even think of Herman Melville in, in the book Moby Dick. Uh, the uh, character Ahab is uh, 
a reflection back on the king Ahab from the Bible who was not a good king. And of course, so when people in Herman Melville's day would read Ahab, they immediately had a certain set-on-edge response to that character. Names have meaning. And that's true also of who we have been chasing after these past two weeks, and now here we are in the third week of our journey with Jacob. Jacob, his name means literally heel grasper because he came out holding his twin brother's heel. Heel grasper or supplanter, one who takes the place of someone else, supplants that place. His name means heel grasper, supplanter. It means cheater or deceiver. Not a very pleasant name, is it? And of course, Jacob very much lives up to his name. He's one of those characters in the Bible that when we read him, we're expecting all the positive traits to come along, and yet we still keep encountering instead of man who is after making his own way by whatever means he can. He's going to create his own future. And he becomes in many ways an archetype for us for the many ways in which we still try to craft our own future, make our own way. Only Jacob, he does a lot of scheming along the way. We've been journeying with him. We went with him like last week when he spent time with his uncle Laban to, to get one of his daughters as a wife. And he comes out of that situation with four wives. He comes out of that situation with an enormous number of flocks and, and herds and, and servants, and he's finally leaving Uncle Laban's home. And even that's a mess as it happens. We've, we've, we've jumped over that. But now he's going back to the land that was promised him. He's on his way back, and word has reached his twin brother Esau, the very man who made it responsible for Jacob to flee his homeland in the first place because he cheated his brother. He cheated his brother of not only his birthright, but also the blessing that was due his older brother. Jacob had taken all of that. And his older brother Esau, older by what, a few minutes, was so angry that he was ready to kill Jacob. That's why he fled so long ago. And now Jacob is on his way back. And you've got to imagine, he's wondering, how is this going to work? Does my brother uh, still have hostility to me? What's that look like? And so word's been sent ahead, or somehow word has come to Esau. And now Jacob has heard that Esau is coming to meet him. Esau is coming to meet Jacob. He's not waiting for Jacob to get there. He's actually coming to him with 400 men. Esau is coming to greet <laughs> Jacob with 400 men. Does that sound like a greeting to you? 
this is where we pick up our reading today. We'll say a little bit more of the planning that Jacob has already started to put in place once he's heard word about his brother. But we jump into the middle of his planning and thinking ahead about how to handle this. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 32, beginning at the 22nd verse. Let's pray. Lord, you know, you know exactly what each of us needs to hear this morning. You know exactly what needs to be planted within us. You know what we need to wrestle with and struggle with, as well as you know where we need to be encouraged. Not only challenged to go forward, but encouraged as well. And so we pray that your spirit would work in such a way among each of us that we would grow, and that together as a church we would grow and be about your will. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's already nighttime, and Jacob's been already planning what to do in response to Esau coming, and we pick up here in the 22nd verse. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we encounter danger... When we feel threatened, we tend to go back to more of a core response. There's something within us that is ready to do what we call the fight or flight, right? 
if there's a huge event and you hear explosions and stuff, your first reaction is to run, to flee, to self-preserve. If someone grabs a hold of you, you're, you're quickly going to respond and react. You're going to fight to get out of that hold. This flight or fight response comes without a great deal of thought. It's at the core because at the core, there is this desire to self-preserve. This desire to live for another moment. Survival. And what we're doing this morning is we're encountering Jacob, who has become very wealthy, who has a great amount of resources. We're encountering him still at the very core of an issue of survival. What does he do about his brother Esau coming with 400 men? He's vulnerable with all that he has, with his wife, his children, his flocks. And so what he does before even what we read, that very evening, he sent out and divided up his flocks and his herds, and he divided them out and parceled them in such a way that he sent little groupings on ahead of him to meet Esau, each with a servant. And when they were to get to Esau, and Esau said, what is this? He, they, they were to say, these belong to your, serv- your servant Jacob, and they are now a gift to you. And with each successive group of herds or flocks coming to Esau, the idea was that Esau would be softened with all these gifts. But we pick up the passage where this plan hasn't yet brought comfort to Jacob. He's still struggling with, is it enough? He's still struggling with that idea of self-preservation that we all have. We've all been in that moment. Someone even says something negative to us. Someone makes a snarky remark or says something that just kind of cuts through and gets right to the core of who we are. And what is our response? Do we just smile? No, we generally tend to give it back, don't we? We'd like to think we could do better. And even if we don't give it back, even if we don't say some kind of cutting remark back, our mind is thinking it, right? And if we aren't able, if we're one of those people that's more like a processor and we're not able to give a quick instantaneous result of response, like so many of us, we envy those who can. If we're not, we spend the rest of the day going over what we should have said. All in the sake of self-preservation. And that's what Jacob is doing. He's trying to preserve himself. He's been fighting through life, taking everything he can. His name is a cheater, supplanter, a deceiver. The only time we've read is he got deceived once, just like Uncle Laban. He's trying to take and get all that he can, and now it's all threatened, and he himself is threatened. Sending the flocks across, that might not be enough. And so what does he do? But he sends across the river his wives and his children, leaving us the impression that he has now put everything over between Esau and himself. 
He's left alone. The scripture is very clear. He is left alone on the side of the Jabbok River all by himself. Except a strange thing happens. Suddenly there's a man there wrestling with him. It kind of breaks into this what's going to happen? What's, what's, what's going to happen between him and Esau? There's suddenly this man there wrestling with him. And it's not even clear who this man is. The way the Hebrew is written is fascinating. It's written in such a way that you can't make out who is who as you read it. Kind of like when you watch a wrestling match. If you've ever watched a wrestling match, sometimes there's that moment, even if you're cheering for someone, it's a friend, a loved one, a family member, you can't tell whose arm is whose or whose leg is whose as they're turning and tossing. And the, the passage is actually written to convey that feeling. You can't tell who is who. And it goes on through the night, much like, which is very true of us, you know, when we're really struggling with some, something, we have trouble sleeping, or even as we sleep, we kind of toss and turn as our mind is trying to navigate and work out all the struggles. We go over and over again, and so much of that is conveyed in this wrestling. Jacob is struggling greatly. And we find that it seems to be an even match. That the man with whom he's wrestling says, sees the dawn coming and says, hey, let me go. He touches Jacob's hip and Jacob's hip's put out of place. And, and, and he says, let me go. And Jacob realizes, no, there's something here. I, I've got a hold of something. Someone who's got enough that this someone can possibly bless me. He says, I won't let you go till you bless me. Kind of, it's kind of like Jacob suddenly realizes that he's got a genie in the bottle and, I, <laughs> no, I want my three wishes. Jacob has been doing this all his life, looking for the best angle in any situation. And even now in this wrestling match, this struggle and strain, he's looking for an upside and saying, hey, look, I want a blessing from you. Of course, we have the added advantage of the story being told to his descendants and us much later, this realization that he was wrestling with God. And so this asking for a blessing is quite something. How many times have we asked for God to just bless us, to get us over this hump, to get us out of this difficult circumstances? How many times have we had something happen and we've said, if I just had, this wouldn't be an issue. If I just had better grades, I'd be able to do this and get into this class. If I just had a little more money, this sudden problem in my house or with my car wouldn't be an issue. If I just had. Jacob is like us. He's, he's looking for that angle, that thing that can help get him over this hump because he's struggling with, will he even survive? And so he asks for a blessing. And here is the pivotal moment 
in Jacob's life. Here is where our cheater, our deceiver, our heel grasper, our supplanter, here is where his life changes. Because this man who is wrestling with Jacob says to him, what is your name? Now think about that for a moment. If this man is God wrestling with Jacob, not only do we have the question, well, how come God can't win? I mean, it seems easy that God could free himself. That's right. There's no reason God can't get out of this wrestling match. But it allegorically fits with the wrestling that God has allowed us as humanity to wrestle with God, to struggle with God. You know, we always ask, why can't God just fix it? Why can't God just snap his fingers and make it all better? Because God gave us free will. And in that free will, there's a choice to choose God or choose ourselves. And so often we choose ourselves and then wrestle with God to make sure that God will make it the way we want it. We want to follow God's way, but boy, we hope that God's way is our way. And we're often nudging God to come, come on, come on, let's go. I think, I think this is probably a better idea, God. Why don't, why don't we do this? This is safer. This is a better plan, oh God. We're wrestling with God all the while. So God gives us a window into Jacob wrestling because Jacob is so representative of who we are. As much as we'd never want to be called a cheater or a deceiver, there's that self-preservation that exists in each of us, that desire and that focus on self, that we are the most important God gives us a window into this moment and then asks Jacob, what is your name? Now, any kid would suddenly say to us right away, why does he ask his name? Doesn't he know his name? Of course God knows his name. So think about that question. Why does God ask Jacob, what is your name? I submit to you that this is the moment of confession. For Jacob realizes in this moment that it's more than just saying, my name is Kevin, or my name is Anna, or my name is Chris, or Steve, or Joan. Jacob realizes that when he says his name, he's also saying who he is. I am Jacob. I'm a heel grasper. I am a supplanter. I am a cheater. I am a deceiver. Jacob, in this moment of wrestling, is having to come to terms with who he really is. 
And that's truly what happens to each of us when we are in the presence of God. We see it over and over again in the New Testament with those around Jesus, that there's no deception that can take place. All the excuses that we might build up to justify our direction or what we're about, all of it just kind of melts away. It's like as we begin to build our case, we realize what's the point? He knows. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows everything we've ever done. He knows our every thought. He knows our thoughts before they're even on our tongue. He knows. And so in the presence of God, there becomes that realization that we can offer no excuse, no justification for why or who we are. We have to be honest that we are broken. That if a true light would be shined on any of us, we would be so embarrassed, so ashamed that everybody would watch the movie of our life, but we'd be the one person not in the room to watch out of despair and shame. But I said, this is the transformational moment. It sounds like an awful moment. It sounds horrendous. It sounds like a place that none of us would want to be in but it is the moment of transformation. Because instead of saying, you are right and now you are damned, now you are judged, now you have no more life, instead of all the condemnation that is due, instead of all the justice that is due, God gives us a foreshadowing of what he will do through his son, Jesus Christ, and says to Jacob, no longer shall you be called Jacob. The Hebrew literally is, no more shall you be called, or no more shall others call you. No more shall you be called Jacob, cheater, supplanter, heel grasper, deceiver. No more, but instead, he's being renamed. He's being renamed. He's getting a new name. Each of us is being given a new name. He's being given a name, Israel, which means striven with God and lived. He's wrestled with God. That's all of us. All of us have wrestled with God, not just saying, well, God, why'd you do it this way? But because we're trying to do it our way and make God bless what we're doing. We've all wrestled with God, but the upshot of that is that he lives. Israel himself identifies that and says, I've wrestled with God and I've lived. When I should have justly died, I should have not had any more life. What is Esau to the fact I've just wrestled with God and lived? 
This is what we have to bring to the world around us. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That we have wrestled with God. We are sinful, broken in every way. And we have a God that instead of absolute judgment poured out on us, has instead taken and poured that judgment out on his son in our place. And Jesus has become our rescuer. Jesus has stood in front of us and taken all the wrath, what's called the cup of wrath, alluded to in the Psalms and in the prophets, the cup of wrath, all of God's wrath upon the human race. Jesus has stood in front and taken all of that so that we might be renamed as Christians, followers of Christ. We had a baptism a couple of weeks ago, and, and when I say, what is the name of this child? The answer is the, 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 the first and maybe the middle name, but not the last name, because the last name is being changed. Oh, still retain the last name, Teratuda. I like the name. But also the last name of Christian. We're being renamed. And God was very purposeful in all this. God, you can just see him writing it all at the very beginning, having the just joy. You can see the corners of his mouth turning up in joy as he does it, as he weaves in all the intricacies of all these different ways that he's going to send his son, and his son's name is Jesus. And Jesus is the Greek name for what Jesus more often answered to the name, not Jesus, but he answered to the name of Joshua or Joshua because that was his name the Greek translation of it is Jesus but his Hebrew name was Joshua and his Hebrew name of Joshua means he saves he saves God sees our wrestling. Instead of saying, that's it, you're done, sends his son to rename us, to bring us back into the family and to make us whole. So yes, if you think of what your name is, I imagine, you know, my name means gentle. <laughs> My, I've got some people who would laugh at that thought. But the truth of the matter is each of us has been renamed. You are now a child of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the grace of God has been poured out upon you beyond the ability to measure you have been forgiven. And who you are is no longer determined by all that you've done, all that you will do. It is determined solely and completely on Jesus Christ. And that is the good news. That is what we carry into this world for our friends and our family and our community. 
that they too can be renamed. And maybe you noticed the story of Esau just didn't matter anymore, did it? We've been renamed. Let us all follow the one whose name we hold. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are a God of immeasurable love. Long ago, it was said of, you that, said of you that your steadfast love endures forever. That means it's without end and that it's continual and always. And you have shown us the greatness and fullness of that love in sending your son, Jesus Christ, to forgive us our sins, that he might be our Lord and Savior from this point forth. Help us this day as we rededicate ourselves to you. You know our hearts and our desire to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.